It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is CEO Jason Christensen. Jason founded Northstar in 2000 and has overseen its growth to become one of the top 15 largest residential security and home automation providers in the nation. Prior to Northstar, where he still serves as Chief Executive Officer, Jason worked for SalesNet Marketing and Eclipse Marketing doing pest control sales while completing his undergraduate degree at Brigham Young University. Jason Christensen, welcome into the corner office. It's good to be with you. Well, we always like to kind of start with the early years, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about that, where you grew up, and what was your family life like? Sure. Yeah, I was a uh, third of seven children. I grew big up- Big family. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, a big family. We uh, grew up on a, a a small farm. It was it was uh, in Granger, Utah. Uh-huh. Uh, my, my parents, my father worked in uh, education. He was an elementary school- principal. Oh, right. As um, was mine. Oh. <laughs> Good profession. Did he have his college degree and, and study his credentials uh, uh, going into that role? Yeah, he he did. Um, and he had actually, he got his uh, doctorate in as well. Yeah, as did mine as well. A very dedicated education. Was he in the public school system there in Utah? He was in the, yes, in the public school system. And he eventually was, uh, ended up uh, on a board of director, a school board, and, right. and, and eventually became a, a superintendent. So education was probably a pretty big thing in your household. Yes. <laughs> and six brothers and sisters, I imagine mom was pretty much stay at home during those period. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, stay at home. Uh, yeah, we, I, uh, it was a, like I said, a small farm. And, and uh, so I, you know, I grew up doing a lot of like farm stuff. Can uh, imagine, yeah. Up at five, five thirty, uh, feeding the chickens and milking the cows, or what? What was kind of your typical day like growing up as a kid? Yeah, yeah. Basically, um, I had, I was kind of responsible for the chickens mostly, and okay, and so that's that was my job. Um, I did for a few years. I milked a cow and and did some of that as well. And uh, you said you were kind of in the middle of the bunch. Where where were you in the, in the pecking order? I'm I'm third. Your third, okay, got it. And uh, with regards to schooling, then kind of got started, I guess, the day with that, and then walk to school, ride to school. Were you at the same school that your dad taught at or was principal at? Um, I, I, yeah, I walked to school. Uh, yeah, walked to school until high school. 
Right, right. And tell us a little bit about the influence your parents had. You know, obviously, uh, I know from my dad, having been a doctorate, principal, teacher for many years, you know, education was always stressed with, uh, you know, the kids as we were growing up. Was that something that, you know, was true in your household, too? For for example, did you always kind of know you'd go to college? Yeah, I always, yeah, I always knew I was going to go to college. And I think early on, I had the goal to get a graduate degree. That was that was kind of one of the motivating things that I had uh, set out for. Right, uh, right. Even before you went and got your undergrad. Yeah, yeah. Even even before. Was the motivation because of the pursuit of business, or what? What made you think that you'd need to get a, a master's at some point in time, even before you went and got your undergrad? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I, I, you know, I just remembered even you know when I was just a teenager. Uh, talking to people and, and, and I had, you know, early on, I, I had a, just a goal to, I didn't know what I wanted to study. I didn't know, you know, I didn't really have any idea other than, uh, I knew I wanted to get to go to grad school. And so I, you know, that being a goal, it kind of, it, 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 um, it motivated a lot of the other uh, steps along the way on sure. you know, what I needed to do to be able to do that someday. Maybe dad having a doctorate had a little bit to do with it. Did yeah. you know, he talk a lot about education? I don't, I mean, I don't know if he necessarily talked a ton about it, but you know, obviously his, his example meant a lot to me. Absolutely. Who are some of the other influencers uh, in the early part of your life? Were there, you know, uncles and aunts, grandparents, uh, maybe a, a teacher in school or a coach that had an influence on you in those early years? Well, I, I mean, you, you know, you mentioned the family and I guess for me, the, the individual who I admire most just for who he is, is my dad and his, and, and not just, you know, because of, you know, I, I don't know, he, he wasn't necessarily, he didn't necessarily aspire to, uh, you know, massive business success or anything like that. He, but just who he was. And, and when I think about the, the values that I strive to live by. He was the example and probably the inspiration, I think, behind a lot of those. I, you know, I, I mean, you talk about really kind of the North Star core values, but our first core value is uh, integrity uh, and uh, and keeping commitments. And uh, my, you know, my dad just was, uh, to me, was just a perfect example of of that. And, and, you know, he had, you know, this kind of this expectation around it. I, there was, um, my dad was, uh, he was a bishop, uh, uh, when I was really young and, uh, in the temple. Yeah. Yeah. And he, um, but I remembered there was I mean, one experience that I always think about with this was when I was young, uh, my friends and I there was a, a, a dance that was going to be held in the church that was, there was a church dance. And uh, so a lot of the kids from the school were coming over to the church dance, but it was actually, it was going to be held in our church and that hadn't happened, you know, before. Um, and uh, my friends and I had gone over and they charged a dollar uh, to get into the dance at the front, at the front door. 
And uh, we were walking around the church and we noticed that on there was a little window cracked open on one of the, <laughs> on, on the right. side. I know where this is going. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so we, we hoisted uh, each other up and we climbed in. <laughs> and so we climbed in through this window and we were able to kind of get into the dance uh, and uh, you know, without having to pay. And, um, you know, so that was, it was all fine and everything. Um, I just, um, the next day, uh, my dad was, uh, he and I were, were driving, like we were taking, running an errand to take some things out to the dumps or something, you know, from the farm. And, uh, we were, he was talking to me and I remember this conversation. I always remember he, he said, you know, I noticed you were at the dance, you know, last night he goes, I was actually uh, at the front. I was at the front, uh, oh, at the front, you know, the letting, letting people in, and I never saw you come in. <laughs> and it, so it was kind of this moment of shame, and I, you know, and I kind of he was just really quiet, and I remember just saying, kind of in a really quiet voice, so, you know, Dad, I, you know, I, I snuck in to the dance, and he was just dead silent. And it was to where, like, I could hear his breathing through his nose, even though, <laughs> you know, even though we were driving. And then the only thing he said, you know, he said to me, he he said, an Eagle Scout. And it was the kind of this, just this uh, disappointment, you know, that I felt right then from him. And he didn't have to say anything else. and He didn't get mad. You were an Eagle Scout. Yeah, I was yeah. an Eagle Scout. Yeah, and, and, right. Um, anyway, so... Boy, those those scars uh, take a long time to heal, and sometimes it, sometimes it's good that they don't. I mean, that was probably a very memorable lesson. Did he did he make you reach into your pocket and pull out a buck? You know, I, <laughs> I don't remember that part. I just I remember the painful silence and just I just remember what he said. Taught you a lot about integrity. Yeah, he must have been a hardworking man too, because you know you obviously ran a farm and he also taught. So he was kind of at two jobs, wasn't he? For most oh, of us, yeah, he worked. Yeah, he worked nonstop, and that was another thing. I think he was just kind of an example of hard work. I think you, you know, when you grow up on a farm, you're just kind of used to doing a lot of work, and that's just part of your life. And had he been multiple generations, his family in Utah, or had he been a recent uh, immigrant to the area? How, what's the family line? My, my, no, they both, my, my, my father and my mother, they both were multi-generations. Yeah. And, you know, where we lived was, we lived on land because, I mean, we lived in, it was West Valley, Granger area, uh, but my family had going back multiple generations had lived in that land and they had farmed, uh, you know, been farmers in that part of the Trace valley. back to the, to the Mormon immigration, I would assume. Yeah. yeah they, several generations they, they back. They settled that, settled that part of the valley, you know, hundreds of years ago. Talk a little bit about school. Were you a good student, a student, middle of the road, uh, struggling to catch up? Where did you kind of fall on the continuum there? Uh, I, yeah, I was, I was a, a good student. I was, you know, I'd say I was a pro procrastinator, um, but I always came through in the end, I guess. that's. You got it done, but it took a little longer than maybe uh, you'd like. And were you distracted by other things? In other words, did you have sports or music, theater? What were kind of some of the things you did outside of class? I did some, I did some sports. I did competitive. I did competitive swimming. I wasn't really, I wasn't necessarily great at it, but I did it from the time I was in uh, like kindergarten or first grade. Yeah, I, I did it the whole, I did it from, from the time I was like literally, you know, five or six years old. Um, 
uh, through through high school. Through high school, it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot, a lot of time, a lot of practice. What about entrepreneurial things? Was there time for paper routes or selling Christmas cards, or you know, did the farm and the sports and school pretty much shuck up most of the time uh, as you were growing up? You know, I don't. I did. I didn't do a ton of entrepreneurial things. I think my my you know we had so many chickens that my mom <laughs> she she let me start uh actually selling eggs and so ah. I, I wasn't like a big thing but i would make a little bit of extra money uh selling eggs and uh and then my i don't know my i mean when i was really young my dad would pay me to uh i had a good eye to pick the tomato worms off of our tomato plants and so he gave me an, he gave me a, a a nickel uh for every tomato worm I could find. <laughs> Collect those and then present them. That's great. Yeah. You mentioned about the chickens. We had a Missouri farm boy who became a, a CEO a couple of podcasts back and he told us a story. I think it was in middle school or maybe it was high school that he was given a hog and was basically told this hog is your college education. He looked at his dad and said, "What are you talking about?" And then over the course of those several years, he bred the hog sold the hogs, <laughs> saved the money. And, you know, that hog and the, and the eventual family really became the, uh, you know, the, the savings that he generated for his college. So what did you use to, to uh, or what did you spend your, your egg money on? Was that something that you were encouraged to save? Is that something that you, you know, used for whatever, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to use the word vices, but, you know, <laughs> those things that you enjoyed while you were, yeah, while you were mean, a kid. It wasn't a ton of egg money, so it probably <laughs> it, it probably got spent at the gas station. Uh, Baseball you know, cards getting, and gum. And, yeah, gum and, and soda, probably. <laughs> cool. And uh, any jobs at all during, you know, the high school years and going into college? Anything, you know, flipping burgers or, or working retail, anything like that that happened uh while you were, uh, you know, in, in your latter high school and early college years? Yeah, my, well, my, my first uh, job, I think I, I worked, I mean, when I was really young in elementary school, I actually helped my brother. Uh, he was a, uh, did janitorial work and he would, I would go with him and he gave me the the crap jobs, like cleaning the toilets, like literally the, so I, I cleaned the bathrooms and then he vacuumed and I think he paid me $20 a month, I think for that. Uh, this was older brother. Yeah, I had, yeah, I had an older brother that it was actually his job. And then he paid me under the table, I think, you know, <laughs> but my first, my first, I think normal, I guess, I don't know if this is a real job cause I don't know how it was legal. Uh, but uh, I was, I worked at a scout camp, but I, I was paid $8 a day and, um, and I would get up at, I don't know, five in the morning and took a bus across the valley. And then, uh, we would start walking up the Canyon, uh, to, to work at this scout camp. And I did that all summer after my ninth grade year. Yeah. So that was during, uh, uh high school that yeah, yeah, I did that during high school. I was, you know, I I worked as a lifeguard, you know, and I I taught I taught swimming lessons, and I think I mean the best job I ever had and was I worked at a movie theater. And ah, when was that? Was that high school? That was well? high school. Yeah. So I I mean I would work during the summer. I would work probably fourteen hours a day. I would I would like I would teach swimming lessons in the morning, lifeguard for a few hours, and then go work at the movie theater and. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really, I, I liked to work. And was uh, going to be BYU kind of a uh, 
a foregone conclusion? Is, is that where dad went? Uh, I mean, my, you know, I had, I lived next door to my, my grandmother and she always talked to me about, she said, you know, are you going to go to the BY? And she, <laughs> she, she called it the BY. The BY. Um, but, uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I mean, that was something that my family had talked about. I wasn't necessarily sold or dead set on going to BYU, but, uh, did you apply to other schools? As I applied, yeah, I applied to some other schools. I, I mean, I, I received a scholarship, uh, a scholarship from BYU and it was the best opportunity at the time. Academic or sports? Uh, academic. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Great. And, uh, how did you decide to kind of pick a major and, and what was that? I had really, honestly, I had no idea. Um, I, you know, I mentioned, I, I knew I wanted to do grad school and I thought I wanted to do MBA. I wanted to get an MBA. Uh, I wasn't really, I didn't have any real sense on a major probably. Well, at least not until, uh, I, I went to BYU for a year and then I served a mission, uh, for two years. Um, and then after I got back sometime during that second year, I decided on, on econ and it was really probably just i asked around and said what would be a good major uh if i wanted to go to mba school and a bunch of people told me econ and you obviously did well some summa cum laude uh, excellent results there um w- would you mind telling us a little bit about your mission trip Wait, was it a, a one-year two-year experience yeah i i served uh in argentina oh fantastic had you studied spanish uh as undergrad, or take, you yeah, I take a turn little, to the deep end. I think, yeah, the way I think the way this works is, I studied, I did like three years of Spanish uh, when I was in high in high school, yeah, yeah. junior high and high school. Uh, I think when you actually go into your to the MTC, uh, I think you cover all of that in the first two weeks, right? And right. then they tend to do an immersion, don't they? Yeah, yeah. and so yeah. like yeah. literally three years of schooling was probably the first two weeks of the MTC, and, <laughs> right? And exactly. Then, and then after that, it was all new. So were you dreaming in Spanish before you went down to Argentina, or did it not before? Take, no, I think yeah. Once maybe, you got down there, yeah, it was probably maybe a year or so into it yeah, before that yeah, started. Yeah, excellent, cool. And were you in Buenos Aires? Were you down in uh, rural areas? Where did they place you? It was a lot more rural. It was nor- northern uh, Argentina. It was called uh, Salta. And yeah, I spent time in Salta and Tucumán and some of the provinces in the in the Northwest. Anything that you'd like to share from those experiences that the couple of years abroad, it must've been a eye-opening experience, particularly being in, you know, that part of the world and rural and the different language and culture. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was an incredible experience. Um, honestly, the, I mean, I think what I was, uh, the most notable thing that happened was uh, about in the middle of my mission, I was, I was driving uh, the mission car uh, with another missionary late at night and uh, was probably driving a little bit too fast for where I was. And we ended up um, missing a roundabout or not seeing the signs for a, a roundabout. It was kind of like on a freeway stretch. And so I was probably clipping on, clipping along at like, I don't know, I don't know what it was, 70 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden <laughs> the road disappeared, the, the, road, road, the road disappeared. They said the car flipped three times. Oh my goodness. And, wow. uh, and we, you know, we were, we, we both were fine. We both climbed out of the broken windows and 
walked away from it miraculously. Um, but that was, I don't know, that was one of my, the, the, what I was, what I became notorious for in my mission. <laughs> well, you had some protection going on that night. Huh? No question about it. And so you came back and uh, got your undergrad. Did you go straight to uh, MBA school then at BYU or did you work in between uh, undergraduate and your graduate program? Uh, I worked, I worked in between. I, I, you know, I did. What was that first job? Well, I had done, so I did uh, sales the whole time while I was going in during my undergrad. So every summer I would go out and do, uh, I would go do sales. I, I went out and knocked doors, uh, did pest control sales. That's, good. that's when you got started in the industry. Yeah, right? yeah and that's how uh-huh. I got in the industry. But uh, it was, to me, that was a summer job. I didn't really look at that as any kind of a career uh, at all. I didn't even think about it like that at all. So I... Uh, took a job with Intel Corporation uh, down in Arizona, and it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was. I had I had done really well in sales. Like I think my last summer doing sales, you know, I, I had set these records. I made six figures, um, and then I took a kind of the just a normal you know entry level job, which at that time I think it was probably you know maybe thirty five thousand dollars a year or something. Uh, you know, entry level, just kind of out of college. Big change. Yeah. 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 And so did you then after Intel come back to BYU or when did you, or how long did you work before coming back from your master's? Well, I didn't, I didn't, it was quite a few years after. Yeah. I graduated in 96 and then I didn't start my MBA okay. until 2000. Right. Well, tell us a little bit about some of those first jobs. So Intel, I think you were there just a year or two. Yeah. It was just, yeah, it was, it was two years uh, at Intel. I, I was, I was hired and uh, the, the company that I had done sales for doing the pest control and I had, I had sold and managed uh, pest control, uh, they had reached out to me in, in uh, early in uh, 1998 and uh, he, uh, you know, the owner of that company had said he wanted to, uh, he thought that they could go into uh, home security and and so he asked if I would be interested coming back to that company and uh, starting up the home security business for them. So they they had they had been you know for for ten years or something they had done or six six years seven years they had done pest control uh, only. Uh, and so I came back and started home security sales uh, for them in 1998. Do you remember the first time you started managing people? I, my first experience managing people was doing was in pest control. Uh, and yeah. what what are some of the early management lessons or experiences you had in that uh, capacity? Oh gosh, yeah, that was that was probably the worst uh, or the hardest uh, experience, uh, you know, for me was when I started managing. Uh, just. It was just, I just was all alone. Um, and I was, nobody gives you a manual. It's kind of like having kids, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was, I'm, you know, it's kind of, kind of, you're just kind of thrown into the fire on it. Um, I was out in, uh, Southern California. It was, I was living in Azusa, California, and I was running a team of sales guys. Um, I would, uh, I would have to, I commuted four times four, four times a day, uh, to and from Pasadena, uh, which is only like 12 yeah, hours. Yeah, that can be an hour, an hour and a half. Yeah, sure. Yeah, like an hour, right. hour and a half. And, and, and then it was just, it was just 
really, really stressful. I was just taking on and doing so much uh, by myself. I didn't, uh, you know, I was, I just was used to kind of working just, on your own it, when things, well, when things, and when things got difficult, it just meant you had to work harder and harder. And, and did you have older people reporting things. to you? Was it that kind of a scenario where you, you know, were managing folks that maybe were five or 10 years older? Were they your peers? Yeah, I had some older people. Uh, mostly they were peers. Uh, the guys that were selling uh, were peers, but there were some older. And any specific lessons from those first management experiences that, you know, you kind of take with you today? Well, I well finally, like, yeah, I remember at the end of the summer, they had told me I could hire somebody. And uh, so like, I hired like an admin. Um, I had a really hard time, though, giving her anything to do. <laughs> right. Because I just was, I, I held yeah, on to things. you were very you know, used to so doing tight. it on your own, right? I was so used to doing everything myself. And then, but I remember like distinctly, well, two things that happened. I had a, I was... I was dating a girl and she came out and visited me in the middle of the summer. And the day before she was going to go home, I, I was so just completely stressed out. I remember, and it's kind of embarrassing, but I just remember like knowing that she was going to leave the next day. I just, uh, I like broke down and I just started like, uh, crying. Like I was like, <laughs> just cause, and I didn't, and I was like, uh, yeah, I just, it was just cause I, I was just taking on so much myself and, and this, and then finally, um, when I hired this, when we hired the company, let me hire that assistant, you know, she, I remember she said, she's like, you really need, some help. Like, <laughs> let I me take over some of this stuff. She was like, you, yeah, <laughs> you, you seriously need some help. Cause it was just, you know, it was like working like 16 right, hours crazy. A, a day. So did she help you? I mean, did she start taking things off your plate or did you learn to delegate through that role? I mean, a, a little bit, you know, I didn't, I guess, you know, that was one of those hard lessons. Uh, I think maybe, yeah, I, I, I started to, you know, in that, in that experience. We've all had good and not so good bosses over the years tell us some of the lessons you've learned from, from your, some of your previous bosses, you know, good or bad. I don't, I, 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 I had a, I had a really great, uh, you know, regional manager when I did pest control. Um, I think, you know, probably, uh, he he just really i think he helped me really feel just kind of good about myself and my own my own abilities i think the company at the time uh right before the summer he he pulled he asked if he could come talk to me he said he told me that the company uh wanted to fire me um uh because i they they didn't think i was taking it seriously enough uh leading up to the summer and you know for me i was just focused on my school during that time and, um, but he told me that, you know, he stood up for me and, and that he had told them he wasn't going to fire me. And, um, you know, and I think that proved to be a good decision. I did, you know, I did really well for them once I shifted and I transitioned into the, you know, into the job in the summer. So, you know, you've obviously gone through various positions now, of course, as a CEO, um, how would you say your leadership, you know, styles evolved over time, Jason? Uh, it's, you know, that's a really good question. It's changed obviously a, a lot. Uh, and, you know, for me where in this case too, with like with North star, uh, it started out basically where, you know, I, I was doing everything 
you know, I was doing payroll. Well, it was a startup, right? Didn't you legal. take that on your yeah, own? It yeah, it was a startup. Hi. Yeah, it was, it was a startup. So I worked in a little, you know, 200 square foot office and, uh, and did everything. And, the, you know, um, uh, today we have, uh, you know, we have a, a couple hundred sales reps. We have uh, 150 corporate employees and, yeah, you know, probably all in maybe five yeah, or six hundred. That's, that's quite a quite a shift, quite a change. And so, kind of going from yeah, so doing everything, how did you learn to, you know, kind of evolve into that CEO where you know you delegated and obviously had to deal with people with different styles? I mean, uh, yeah, I had I I had to learn it. Like I'm, I just I I, I feel like I I've tried to study a lot about that and leadership it didn't necessarily i don't know that i was necessarily a natural at anything uh per se but other than i was good at learning how to do things and change and i've had to change i mean like you know i would say i you know when you go back to those early days i had to do everything and i was a control probably kind of a control freak um but i don't i don't think that's how i'm i would be described today how, how what do you decide you know when it's time to micromanage or or stay out of your employee sandbox do you do you kind of go in and out on that or do you pretty much try to give people enough you know leash to run out on their own well i don't yeah i don't know that i i don't you know go into micro i mean i think micromanaging is that's something you stay away from going to work yeah it's just not it's not a long-term you know, solution. Uh, so I think if, if I end up in that situation, it, maybe that's not the right, <laughs> right, in right. That role. doesn't last very long. What, what about building a company culture? You know, you've worked for some uh, great companies before you obviously have gone from, you know, larger size to your startup. And of course, then I've grown that successfully. Um, you know, how important is company culture and, and, you know, what are your thoughts on building one? Yeah, I think, that company culture is absolutely essential. I think I look around and I, I think in our industry, I, I saw a lot of companies that I guess in my perspective, they didn't really have a soul. They just were kind of like, uh, and, and I, I think that the culture has to be very deliberate. Um, so I'm, I'm glad, you know, we just, when when Northstar was founded, we uh, we established uh, and and defined you know certain core values that were going to govern and describe the behavior that was expected, and we had a defined mission statement. Uh, and then, but then it's not just having those things; it's actually you know making that a part of uh, the conversation, and 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 it has to be talked about all the time. Um, and it has to be, you know, in this case, it has to be part of everything you do from when, you know, somebody's brought into the organization right from the get go. And then, and, and all of the training and, uh, you know, to where that, I mean, for that, for those things, I guess that's, you know, for it to become a a deliberate thing, uh, there has to, there's a lot that has to go into that. Jason, what would you say is unusual or perhaps unique about North Star's culture? I think we've been really consistent right from the the very beginning um 
and I guess I, I feel like it's unique in the sense of just how how significant, how meaningful the the the, the core values, the original core values, uh, have been, uh, you know, for for our company, and then just really continually being deliberate in how we've tried to live out our the the original mission, you know, of the company. That really, you know, largely that, you know, it hasn't changed in almost twenty years. Can you share a little bit about that? What what is the mission or vision or some key points from it? Well, uh, yeah, the. I mean, our, the core values are the same. You know, you 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 read them in the in the introduction. Um, it's not so much those. I think for us, it's not necessarily the words themselves, but they're it's the the definition that we give to each of those principles, because that that's what really is what describes the the behavior that's expected. Um, you know, integrity means a lot of things. We we define it as we keep our commitments, and that's it. So. It's very specific, and then you know, well, what does that look like, and how does that play out, and you know, some of those things. Um, our definition of accountability, I've never, I had never heard before. I thought it was, it's kind of a unique definition. It's uh, we take responsibility for our results, and um, and then you know that there's there's a whole there's a whole conversation of what what does that mean, and and you know, and that's something you know I, we could talk about that for an hour, but. Um, so that, those, those things, those elements, uh, I think those have been very important. And then also, you, you know, there has to be an authenticity around those as well. Like we can't just, they can't just be words up on a wall. We have to, uh, we have to strive to live those and those principles have to govern the choices that we're, that we're ultimately making as a company. Let's talk a little bit about hiring, and I know we're getting close to time here, so we've just got a few more questions. But what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in or hire, Jason? Uh, well, I, I've always made like the cultural mm. fit like a key yeah. part of it, and having you know having a conversation or giving a sense of like when an individual comes into that, you know, asking questions to help try to you know identify what the governing principles are for that individual, um, and then you know you got to be willing to sort of draw a line on certain things and, you know, decide what you can, what's acceptable, what's not. Yeah. And, um, you know, do you do a lot of interviewing and hiring yourself? In other words, uh, beyond the people that, you know, would be direct reports, are you engaged in the interview process with, you know, say your executive team hires, et cetera, or is that something you don't uh, spend a lot of time doing? Um, no, I don't do a lot of hiring today personally. Uh, but I, am engaged in wanting to just the process itself and, and how, uh, you know, what, how we're going about, you know, selecting, uh, the right people, uh, you know, so I'll, I'll work, I work, you know, with our HR and with, you know, with uh, the other, other managers doing that. Yeah. And if, if let's say there's someone that's maybe not a direct report, but maybe one of your key people, uh, you know, maybe your head of sales is hiring a top salesman. It's got a port important area. It's an area in which you obviously, uh, have some interest in if, you know, you only had maybe five minutes or so to interview that person. What, what, what kind of questions would you ask them? Uh, I like to ask, uh, behavioral type questions, uh, personally, uh, in an interview, I like to ask them, you know, tell me about a situation where this happened or tell me about, you know, when you had to, uh, you know, confront somebody, uh, for, 
you know, breaking a company policy or something. I, I mean, it obviously depends on the, you know, on what the position, yeah, on the role. But I like to ask behavioral questions because it really allows you to kind of dig in and really, uh, you know, understand how that person operates. Well, Jason Christensen, you've been very uh, generous with their time. We appreciate it. We have one last question we always ask our CEOs. And, you know, it's kind of what career and life advice would you give to someone with their eyes on the corner office or, or to be a successful entrepreneur like you? Oh, gosh. I, I wanted to, I mean, originally, I thought that I would, I wanted to, to be in, in this, maybe in this kind of a position someday. I thought that the path would be through getting an MBA. And, uh, but it ended up, you know, I did get an MBA, but, you know, in this case, I just, I started a company and, and then I've had to, for me, it's probably a little bit different uh, because I just had to, I had to, completely like evolve, uh, as the company, uh, grew. So it's, I don't, I would say, you know, my path, I don't know how common that is, um, uh, of a path. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, my advice would be either way you're gonna, it was still doing the same things. I mean, I worked, I worked my tail off when I went to school and I, you know, I got good grades and I, I knew I could, you know, and I qualified to be able to go to a top, uh, you know, MBA program. Um, and I think a lot of those, those efforts and things, you know, my, my career took a little bit of a different path than I had originally planned, but a lot of those, that hard work still contributed to, uh, you know, to being able to step into the, this role. Well, Jason, thank you again. Uh, we really enjoyed hearing your journey into the corner office. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.